welcome back to the show. It is my honor to be joined again by our friend, Scott Sauls. How are you, sir? Hey, Luke. Good to be with you again. <laughs> well, you know, I was debating, like, do you go pastor, reverend? Like, what is uh, what, what do you Presbyterian people that, do? Just call me Scott, but yeah, our, the title that we prefer is pastor, if you're going to use a title. But, um, gotcha. But yeah, friends, we, we like the first name basis especially, so... Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. my my tradition, Churches of Christ, we uh, we say pretty informal, but mm-hmm. uh, nothing, nothing but respect for those who have yeah. different uh, titles, of course. But yeah. uh, Scott, it's good to have you back on. Thanks. Uh, you're, you're still holding pretty strong. Top five favorite Calvinists. You're <laughs> you're pretty entrenched up there. You're, you're definitely one of my favorites. And it's a mixed tradition, uh, that's for sure. Um. <laughs> you, you know what I found is that uh, we have. Uh, an X29 church that meets in our building in the afternoon. Uh, they were basically homeless during COVID because they were mm-hmm. in the school. And uh, luckily, we uh, we got to know them, and yeah. we were very lucky to have them using our facility in the afternoon along with other times. Which one is and, that? Uh, it's the well. Uh, oh, Tori Mayo Tori is the pastor. Is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've preached for them before. I have. I have. It's a very vibrant community. Yeah, they're, they're good people. And uh, I was like, well, you know, Tori, next time you bring Scott down, we're going to make him stay and do the Church of Christ version first, and then he can do the A29 hey, version after. Yeah, just uh, actually also got to do the Austin Stone staff retreat. Uh, another, oh, I saw another that. X29 Austin, Texas. Uh, just, man, what a wonderful, wonderful staff. I mean, the staff is the size, itself is the size of a mid-sized church, but, but um, yeah. man, just, just such, a, such a genuine, great group of folks. Yeah, so I saw Austin's got a lot of great that. stuff going on with you and all those yeah. guys there. Yeah, yeah. We actually had, um, oh, uh, uh, Jamie and Aaron Ivy. Yeah. They came over. They were, we were doing a, uh, Suzanne Stabile was doing an Enneagram conference, <laughs> yeah, and they were awesome. a part of it and got to know them a little bit. So, Love yeah, it. it's, uh, it's good people, good people. Yeah. Okay, uh, I want to jump right into the book. Um, you tell a story. That is a pretty crazy story. Um, the gentleman you you call by the name Richard. Uh, the book is "Beautiful People Don't Just Happen." That's the title. Um, in the book, you tell a story of a gentleman who's actually not named Richard, but you call him Richard, as many of us uh, writers do, out of respect for people's, you know, their own story and all that. But you tell sure. a story of getting called over to a gentleman's house, mm-hmm. and he is in a very bad situation. I think he's on. Xanax, whiskey, maybe a couple other things mixed in there all together. And you get that call. Um, Mm -hmm. Many counselors, many pastors, you find yourself in this sort of situation. I want you to walk me through what you're thinking. Mm -hmm. So you find out about this. You probably get a phone call saying, hey, so-and-so is in a a rough spot. Mm -hmm. What do you start thinking right off the bat when you get that phone call? Well, that phone call... um his wife also told me so so I get this communication from his wife in the middle of the night and they've got they've got young boys in the house as well uh, and he's he's been through a season of um, depression which led to prescription meds um, basically legalized opium uh, oxycodone uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that and then he started chasing it with whiskey and um yeah so i get this call she says that he's he's out of his mind jacked up on oxy and whiskey and she needs to get the kids to a place of safety and he's got a gun and he's making some threats uh you know to harm himself and so you know my thought was keep him alive uh when i first got the call and so so I called another guy in our church community and said, "Hey, meet me at, at this guy's house," and and we did, and and yeah, man, I, I mean, I'm I'm sitting there, 
you know, talking to a guy who said, what's going on? How you doing? And he, he basically says, I hate myself. And I said, why do you hate yourself? He says, because I know God has to hate me because of, you know, what what I've made of my life, what I'm putting my family through. And I just just want to end it. And, you know, I, I just I just started talking about the prodigal son and, you know, to this <laughs> incredibly high drunk guy. And somehow in the middle of that conversation, it, it connected with him. And uh, he started to tear up, resonate with the you know the homecoming story with you know paul's nothing in all creation can ever separate you from the love of god in christ you know in christ you're just as loved on your worst days Mm -hmm. and seasons as you are in your best days and seasons and what what made you think that he was connecting to that how could you tell uh he was locked in uh i mean locked in and you know he was tearing up um he was every now and then interjecting oh really can you say that again and you know he was he was very he was quite wasted um but uh circled back with him the next morning you know we we got it we confiscated his his gun and uh we waited until he fell asleep and we left and so i called him the next day asked him how he was doing he vaguely remembered our conversation but i I said look I'd, i'd love to be your right hand guy in getting you to a you know top level rehab center in arizona and and I'll visit you there. I'll stay the whole time with you there if you want me to. But you're you're that valuable to me. I, I think you're even more valuable to to the God who loves both of us. And and so I'm all in for your healing. And so so that led to a you know a season of ups and downs. And you know he tried to flee from the rehab center, but but you know he he came back, completed the 28 days, and that was the beginning of his sobriety journal or, or journey. And within actually within three years, he became an elder in the church. Uh, you know, one of the best elders I've ever worked with, and, and you know wow. to this day. And and so there's something about people who've been in the ditch and then been pulled yeah. out by you know the resurrection power of Christ and and given newness of life, restored to his family. There's just something about people who've been through those experiences that, that just make them this remarkably compassionate, uh, empathetic people who, who show up for others. And, and, and his, yeah. his is such a story. Jesus says something about uh, those who have been forgiven much. And yeah. when you are aware of how much you've been forgiven, as we all have, mm-hmm. but the more you're aware of it, it does shape, just like you're saying. So in the, like the, probably the, the nadir of that moment, he's saying, I don't like myself and I know God doesn't like me. I, right. I can't love myself. I know God. Where do you think, because it's not just him that thinks that, but where do you think that understanding of God comes from for most people? Well, I mean, there, there's there's the guilt, right? The which is essentially the regret over things that we've done, which which actually can. There's a healthy version of guilt, right? That that leads us to what the Bible calls repentance without regret. It's the kindness of God that leads us to yeah. to repent and and to live in newness of life and and in what the Anglicans call the saving health of of, of Christ. Um, but guilt can easily. Um, become shame you know whereas guilt is regret over the things that we've done shame is regret over the people that we think we are uh, on the basis of the things that we've done and 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 so you know there's this voice that i that i talk about in the book called the inner critic um which you know uh there's a tempter that 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 has an ability to get into our heads and and uh, mess with us and and you know I talk a lot about how we can hold on to guilt and shame for a long long time I actually opened the book with a story about how I 
I was walking yeah. alone in the park, and I, you know, the words came out of my mouth all by myself. You suck, and I was actually talking to myself about mm-hmm. you know something I said to a girl in high school thirty seven years before. Uh, you know, the memory just came back in my mind, and it was just kind of a pivotal watershed moment for me of realizing how how easily we leak things like grace and love and you know the the good words or the benediction benedictions that the gospel pronounces over us about who we are in Christ and how easily it is that we hold on to the voice of shame and the negative verdicts about you know whatever it is that 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 we carry with us and and so Man, I've been a pastor and a Bible reader every day for for you know almost thirty years, and and I, and I still you know have these have these struggles, and you know have this daily need to revisit what's true and good and beautiful about what Christ mm-hmm. has done. And so I'm hopeful that the book can help other people who are in that place. Yeah, as well. for sure. I think the the opening story, like you said, where you're just there, and all of a sudden you say you suck to yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that probably relates to a lot of people. I definitely can relate to that where I find myself uh, being able to, to see myself in that story very easily. And for other listeners who can imagine different words, different language, yeah. but the same tone that we have when something comes to mind that we did. Mm-hmm. And like you described, like we've moved past the, the kindness of guilt, the kindness of God's guilt and that leads to repentance. Mm-hmm. And it's shame that there's something wrong with me. Because that language of you suck is not like what you said was sucky or bad 37 years ago. It was you're bad. That's when right. we find ourselves with that sort of language, you, you gave the recommendation to, uh, in stressful times, talk more to ourselves than listen to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Tell me more about the kind of talking to ourselves that we should be doing in stressful moments when this sort of like your bad language comes up from our soul. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's what um, Paul says in one of his Corinthian letters about taking thoughts captive, um, yeah. demolishing strongholds, you know, those things that keep a grip on us, regret, hurt, fear, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, demolishing those strongholds by taking every thought captive and making them obedient to Christ, right? So Romans talks about how transformation starts with the renewing of our minds, mm-hmm. uh, with um, you know filling our minds uh, with formational material that comes okay. from God, uh, and um, you know to be sure that our, our our primary exposure is to things that are good and excellent and praiseworthy, like like Scripture talks about, but. Um, but yeah, that 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 you know, Martin Luther was famous for this, right? The the ancient reformer, right? Um, here's another reform guy, <laughs> cussed mm-hmm. like a sailor, uh, and you know, was kind of this uh, this monk who you know was was just so guilt ridden and shame ridden that he that he you know almost wanted to kill himself until he discovered Romans one sixteen that talks about a righteousness that that comes to us from God that we don't achieve that we don't accomplish the burdens off right Jesus said I'll, I'll give you rest you know those who are weary mm-hmm. and burdened of trying you know to you know the Bible doesn't say work on your salvation or work for your salvation it says to work it out in the same way that we work out muscles in a gym right it, you know our muscles are things that we've always had and that we will never lose right and it's up to us whether or not we're gonna do the things we need to do to make them stronger let uh, me interrupt but, you there yeah, what, yeah. what do you, what, what's the difference of uh like you're using the Philippians two language, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. What is the difference of thinking like I'm working to, to acquire and instead working at it like a muscle that you, you have already, you're just trying to develop it more. What's the difference? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the fear and trembling part, I, I think there's a lot of 
mistaken interpretation there where people think, well, if, if you don't if you don't work on your salvation or if you don't work for your salvation, which is not what the scripture says, then you need to be afraid. Um, whereas the scripture has this wonderful paradox where you know, the degree to which we actually fear God in the biblical sense of the word, we become less and less and less afraid of God uh, or afraid of anything for that matter, because if God is for us, who can be against us? Right. And so, so yeah, working it out, um, you know, I mean, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor. We teach our people about the importance of formational practices, right? Like, like the basics of, of, Hey, orient your life around Sabbath. Uh, be at church every week in community with people who are heading in the same direction as you are. Um, and, you know, a rich relationship with Scripture. Like, be in the Bible as, as often as you can, daily if possible. Cultivate a, a rich life of prayer. Surround yourself with a handful of friends who can speak out loud the things that you're trying to hide in your heart. Um, you know, Bonhoeffer famously said in Life Together, you know, the word of Christ on my brother's mouth is stronger than the word of christ in my heart yeah. so so there's just this That's formational good. aspect of putting ourselves in community and and serving our neighbor and those sorts of things actually create a kind of person over time and, and you know even 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 when we don't feel that, that, that we're growing as we kind of work out our faith right so let's just call the bible the local church life in community um you know dwelling on whatever is good and noble and excellent and praiseworthy just call that call all those things together the, the weights and the treadmill of god's gymnasium uh mm-hmm. and and just realize that there's a way to work out your soul uh in the same way there's a way to work out your muscles or work out your brain yeah. you know by doing you know brain activities and intelligence forming activities right there's a way to work out the inner life, uh, to exercise it, to, to make it stronger by giving it exposure to the, you know, what, what theologians have historically called the, the means of grace, right? So there's, a whole, there's yeah. a whole couple of chapters on this stuff in the book, but yeah, yeah. I'm a super fan of, of, of doing the ordinary, daily, sometimes boring thing. You know, yeah. just like eating broccoli, right? You, like, like, how many of our kid, healthy kid meals that our moms imposed on us do we remember? Not a lot of them. They weren't memorable, but we're healthy because of them. And, yeah, and yeah. So, yeah. So there's this, this diet of healthy practices that mm-hmm. lead us to the Christ life. And in some ways, there's a voice that's saying, you suck inside of you, but as you like dwell on the righteousness, like the, this gift of right standing yeah. with God, um, the righteousness that has been gifted grace to you then it it competes with that voice and gives you a true voice to to listen to the voice that calls you god's beloved when you think of that voice though you've had that voice in your head um both of us are are grown adults many years removed from high school Mm -hmm. but those voices still reside in us both of us have submitted ourselves to to scripture we have you know indoctrinated ourselves with with the way of jesus in community all all these things Mm -hmm. but those voices are still remain within us. Mm-hmm. Some of us would think, well, I, if I work this out enough, then those go away. How, how come those don't ever go away even if I work enough to, to what makes us think that we should be able to get rid of them? Well, I, I think the Apostle Paul is a great example. Um, he gets more and more humble and more and more aware of the gap between where he is today and where he knows he's supposed to be and where he knows he will end up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the beginning of his 
you know, ministry as an apostle, he calls himself Paul an apostle. Later on, he's Paul the least of the apostles. Later on, he calls himself the least of all the saints. And the very yeah. end of his life, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And, and this is all when he's getting actually more virtuous. <laughs> he's actually becoming more virtuous and a better neighbor and a, and a better friend and, and, and a better, you know, lover of God. Um, but what's happening is that his awareness of reality is growing, that, 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 that he, you know, and he, he lives with the recognition that he will never be complete until God completes the work in him, right? Uh, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But, you know, in his, you know, what, what you know, the fancy word of the, the theologians use is, is eschatology, right? Um, our eschatology, our, our end time reality after Christ returns will not be realized completely and fully uh, until we're on the other side, until either Christ returns or until we die and go into his presence and the resurrection, future resurrection happens. And that's where there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. That is where we become like Christ because we will see him as he is. Uh, and so, you know, you get this picture from Paul that, that the Christian life is, is a life of gradual, slow-plotting growth while anticipating always a future that is always brighter than the past or present. Mm-hmm. Hmm. When when we talk about our identity as sinners, and, and obviously Paul, like you just mentioned, uh, theoretically you would assume like this guy is becoming more and more virtuous, which I, I think both of us would assume that's the case as he's being transformed from one degree of likeness to another, which he writes about to the Church of Corinth. Yet the talk about sin is always there, and it seems that for some people. There isn't a way to acknowledge ourselves as having sin and being sinners and letting that become the dominant understanding of ourself. Does it make mm-hmm. sense? Have, maybe, maybe you've experienced that, like where we understand our identity as we are people who sin. Mm-hmm. Henceforth, we are sinners. Also, we're called saints. Those somehow coincide together. But some of us just get caught and just stuck like, well, I'm just a sinner, and they don't hear the second piece of that. Right. Why do you think that happened? First of all, I, I'm assuming like that's a real experience that you've uh, lived through as a pastor, right? With other people, right? And with myself, 100%. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Um, why? Why would you think that happens? Well, you know, I think, I think we've been created for perfection. Uh, that's one thing. Um, you mm-hmm. know, the garden that, that humanity came from, the Garden of Eden, uh, human beings were made sinless with the capacity, with the ability to make a free choice and rebel against God, which, which did happen. And, you know, that nature, that capacity, you know, the scripture calls the old man or the flesh, um, you know, has been passed on to the human race. Um, but we also know that, that the other bookend that hasn't, exi- hasn't happened yet, the new heaven and the new earth, is where we are re-perfected, you know, yeah. as one of the hymns says, saved to sin no more. Uh, and, uh, you know, we will be like Christ because we'll see him as he is, right? And so, so that's, our actual, that's our actual life that God has created us for. Uh, the life of Eden completed in the life of the new heaven and the new earth, right? So when we think about our lives, naturally we think about, okay, yeah, maybe I got like 70 or 80 years. But the big picture is that we have infinite years. 
infinite days and infinite years. And, and the life that we're living right now, I think C.S. Lewis is brilliant in the Narnia books when he brings this out. We're living in the prologues right now. We haven't even begun the fullness of the life that we've been, been made for. I mean, we, 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 we experience hints of it, right? Eternal life has already begun, but it hasn't been completed yet. And it uh-huh. will be completed when Christ returns. Uh, and, and so because we're hardwired for that, because that, that, that's what God has made us for, it's traumatic when we, when we experience ourselves living as less than who we were made to be. And that's where the whole you know, socio-psychological pathology of self-righteousness comes from, right? Like we're fighting to be seen as perfect Right, uh, which is why we tend to only put out the highlight reels of our lives on social media. Right now, everybody's talking about curating their brand, and um, you know, we, we hide the things that 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 are that are broken and also as real as the high points of our lives. And 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 so we live in this kind of dishonest, hmm. inauthentic state, which is is you know, it traces all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Like, what did Adam and Eve do when they realized that they're not living in completion and wholeness anymore? They're looking to run for cover in every way they can. They're, co- they're creating, you know, the fashion industry began with fig leaves, right? They, mm. People ran around naked all the time. It'll be interesting to see what happens in glory, uh, you know, as far mm. as that's concerned. But they ran around naked all the time because they had no self-consciousness about being judged. Um, they shifted blame. Um, you know, the devil made me do it, uh, Eve said. Or, or, you know, the woman that you gave me, God. So it's she's culpable and you're culpable, God. It's not my fault. I... I you know, you put all this peer pressure around me. What am I supposed to do? Um, and so there's all this deflecting and, and, and hiding um, in order to appear uh, perfect because we know we're not anymore. And and yeah. and so the heart is, is hardwired for glory, right? We're made in the image of God. If the chief end of a human being is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then the chief end of God is to be glorified and enjoyed. And if we're made in his image then when we sense that we are not being honored and we are not being enjoyed because we've screwed up, we want to mm-hmm. fight to cover it up. We want to fight to fix that. And I, I think that's part of where you know, the, the, the unhealthy versions of guilt and shame come from. Yeah. And when we are not uh, healthy with ourselves, our relationship with other people is no longer healthy. That's right. If there is, like, the more dysfunction in us, the more dysfunctional mm-hmm. there are in the relationships around us and the mm-hmm. way that, that we treat one another. One of the studies that you reference in the book is that there was a study of the average church member, the average parishioner, for the workload for a pastor. And the final results of the study is that the average expectation for what a pastor is to do would require them to invest 114 hours of work every week. That's right. 114. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but that's what I call just a normal week of work. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's kind of the workload I do. No, uh, but there's a lot of expectation there. There is. And we <clears throat> superimpose that. You talk about uh, in the book that you've had experiences where people have gossiped and lied about you. And uh, I assume you're probably not the only pastor who's ever experienced no, no. something Mm-mm. like that. And like, there's a substantial effect in what that's uh, doing to many pastors these days. What, what yeah. do you think you? How do you think that's played out? Well, you know, I, I would say too on the flip side that I get a lot of uh, excessive flattery that I don't deserve uh, either. And, that's and, true. And both of them, you know, yeah. unfair unfair criticism 
and excessive flattery uh, are both um, you know things that mess with anybody who ends up on the receiving end of either or both of those things. And I think pastors get a disproportionate dose of both. Uh, in the same way that any kind of public person gets a disproportionate uh, dose of both, but, and but we I'm don't sorry. believe we don't believe the compliments. Like we don't give them That's as right. much. Well, most people don't believe the praise as much as they right. like believe and give ear to the criticism. Yeah, and and we shouldn't believe false flattery. Um, but 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 I think you're speaking about the true things that people say. You know, the meaning that our you know contribution brings into their lives and so on. We we tend to leak those things in the same way that we hold on to. You know, the guilt and the shame. I think it was Mariah Carey who said, I, I can hear a thousand praises and just one criticism, and that criticism will completely erase the thousand praises from from my sense of well-being. Um, you know, yeah. it becomes all about that one thing. It's like the, you know, Shakespeare's Lady Macbeth, uh, you know, that, that yeah. haunting scene where she's she's trying to wash the 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 invisible what she calls damn spot uh, off of yeah. her hands, you know, the, the imaginary blood on her hands for the way that she's, you know, treated people and accumulated regrets in her life. And I think we all have that. I think that's why we connect so much with Shakespeare is because he, he, he paints a picture of the human condition like that in a way that is inescapable for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we're seeing a lot is that there is a uh, great resignation of pastors that uh, it seems that they're talking about where there's so many pastors that are just, hey, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. Coming mm-hmm. out of COVID, um, yeah. no one's functioning at their, well, overall, it seems that most of us are not functioning at our highest capacity. Mm-hmm. And that often uh, leads to a lot of blaming and pointing the finger. And that happens in church just as well as uh, anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know Steve Cuss, who talks about managing leadership anxiety, he wrote a book about that. Yeah, I um, want had, to know Steve Cuss. I listened to, I listened to his his podcast and so appreciate oh, his perspective. Yeah, he's great. He, he sent something out uh, not too long ago where he said, everyone wants to talk about how a pastor has hurt me, but he, no one wants to talk about how I've hurt a pastor. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's, uh, again, like we're very comfortable to like point the finger at other people, but we don't want to look at ourselves. And so like it, we see the consequences of us living in this sort of, I hate to say like the you suck uh, thing, but that's kind of like the metaphor you use at the very, or the story you use at the very beginning. But there are consequences to that that pushes like to behavior that is mm-hmm. less than acceptable. But also there is an American expectation for life that you talk about in the book that makes us very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. What is it about the American expectations that make us so vulnerable? Boy, I yeah, jog my memory. I, I candidly forgot what I wrote about that. <laughs> well, if you <laughs> have your book, we can, but we can turn I, to I couldn't page. tell you what I preached last Sunday either, so it's, it's you know, kind of the nature of can, things. <laughs> but you probably can tell me the next four things you're going to preach about, right? <laughs> probably, yeah. Like, yep. I can't, I legitimately can't remember what's behind. <laughs> so uh, okay, let me read, let me read the quote to you. Okay. Um, I'm an American who has been shaped to expect comfort. Because of this, I am vulnerable to cynicism, moroseness, which is a great word, I don't know what it means, but it sounds bad, Um, cynicism, moroseness, and self-pity when my outside and inside worlds betray expectations. So we expect to have comfort, but life, this is me talking for you, Um, maybe you flush that out before I just try to tell you what I think you are saying. Well, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, so I'll be brief. Um, I, I, 
Yeah, we've been, I mean, we live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world um, with access to creature comforts that are unimaginably disproportionate to what the rest of the world experiences. And, and you know, a person living below the poverty line in the United States is living in better conditions yeah. than, than, than well over 70% of the world. Uh, and that's not at all to diminish the experience of, of poverty in America at all. Um, but uh, we, we have been conditioned just by virtue of the uh, experienced and expected lifestyle uh, in the United States uh, where we are shocked, where we're alarmed when things don't go our way, uh, especially when, when we experience what, what some people call a losing streak. Right, we we start to think, well, this must mean that God's abandoned me, or that God mm-hmm. God hates me, or my life isn't worth living. Um, and the irony of that for people who are Christians is that the whole Bible was written by people who were either slaves or exiles, or uh, their own nation had been occupied by a hostile, stronger uh, military from another nation. They were in prison, as Paul was, during the writing of many of his letters. They were hiding in caves from a megalomaniac assassinating King, uh, King Saul, like, like David was. Uh, or they were awaiting their own execution. Um, you know, 11 of the 12 disciples, uh, we understand from history, were martyred for their faith. You know, the whole Bible, except for maybe one or two books, right? One is Ecclesiastes, where you got a guy who's crushing it and is still miserable. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, but maybe one or two books were not written out of the conditions of distress. The whole hope of the world message was given to us from a very un-American experience. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. hard to, it's hard to sort of put ourselves completely in that story, you know, the, the Israelites in exile to Pharaoh. I mean, I, I'm sure we can find metaphors from our lives that that moderately resemble you know the oppression of pharaoh but but probably not i mean we we can yeah, say well the pand- pandemic yeah. was like pharaoh's pharaoh's oppression because we were all you know made to make bricks without yeah. straw well sort of um not not most most of us didn't get beaten Met- and, metaphorical bricks <laughs> right metaphorical. like we're but but then, yeah, you know, it's not again it's not to diminish yeah you know, all suffering's relative right but I just don't think we're well programmed, uh, you know, in our part of the world or in the West in general, uh, to know what to do with suffering unless we, again, have been steeped in those formation practices, right? Like, I'm sure you've got this experience. We both pastor, you and I, Luke, intergenerational churches. Um, you know, th- there's just something that happens when we sing It Is Well With My Soul uh, with the old people who've been diagnosed with cancer or who have lost a child or, or lost a spouse. Like, they're the ones who you know, become sudden charismatics, uh, you know, when that song comes out, which, which means so that, true. that so you true. can live in America and be formed to be ready for that time when it comes of regret, hurt or fear or whatever. Um, but you got to do the work. Um, you know, Tim Keller, so can Tim Keller, I had a zoom call with Tim, you know, a couple of weeks ago and he's got this, you know, um, chemo, um, you know, thing in his like home administered IV in his arm. He's like, He's just so lighthearted about it. He's like, can you believe this thing costs $9,000? I mean, what, what's the world coming to? And, 
and you know the question is always asked him you know publicly or privately like how are you doing you know like this cancer is incurable like <laughs> your days are numbered you know it you live in that awareness all the time he's like I've never been happier in my life. Um, and part of the reason why is the end is near to this season, and, and, and I know what that means for the next one. And, and you know, this is a guy who's been, when you talk about formation, he's been praying through five psalms every day for over 60 years. Uh, he's been reading the whole Bible every year for over 60 years. Uh, he's been, you know, cultivating a, a deep life of prayer every single day for over 60 years. And he listens humbly to criticism. Even when it's unfair, he will, he will not retaliate. He will not punch back. He will instead, you know, in his words, look for a kernel of truth uh, that might give him an opportunity to repent and, and be drawn even closer to Christ with an unfair criticism. Right, so, mm-hmm. so that's somebody who has has committed himself with resilience over the long haul uh, to prepare uh, his heart for what America will not prepare him for, and what American values will not prepare him for. Um, yeah. So I can say a lot that's more so on that, but no, I'd love to hear your thoughts, man. Um, well, no, that, I, I think uh, you're spot on. I, I think just in the same way that the like the USUC voice is cancerous to us. Mm-hmm. Um, the American expectation that things are going to be comfortable can also have a really disastrous effect on our soul as well. And you listen to both of those, mm-hmm. they will shape and form you, but it will not be into the kind of person that reveals the image of God inside of you. Like it's, it's not making you Christ-like. The, that's the, the title of the book, uh, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, is something obviously you've kind of been alluded to, obviously with, uh, with uh, Tim Keller, is someone like 60 years of spiritual practices cause spiritual formation to happen so that at um, like you, you just described the cancer as incurable like as he's on the precipice of the age to come he, there's beauty that's being revealed I mean the the smile you described while having a port in his arm I mean that's a like that, that's a beautiful gesture and it, mm-hmm. which speaks to the, like the beautiful character that's inside of him the way he deals with criticism like that sounds very beautiful mm-hmm. the the line for the book um how do you, what is the, the last name? She's got a oh, double Elizabeth last Cooper name. Oh, Elizabeth Ross. You want me to read it to you? Yes. So yeah, you let's hear the, hear the quote. Yeah. yeah. No, you so got it. I mean, this, is the whole, this, was, this, whole, this quote is what inspired the whole project. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where she's at um, you know, in her faith. I don't know if she's a person of faith or not. But uh, she is a grief expert. She's well known for that. But, but here's a, a quote somebody sent me, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I, I want to unpack this. So she says this, the most beautiful people we've known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. So, so that's the quote. And, you know, the, the, the book project is... is you know, an attempt to unpack uh, the concepts from that quote, especially around the three common pain points of regret, hurt, and fear. And and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm hopeful that it, you know, can help some folks. Yeah. Talk to me about why pain is where we start. Uh, you've got a, a line from Lewis, which I will read. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pain. I love that line. Love it. Um, so why did you start with pain points instead of pleasure or like the grace of God? or like Why is it pain that's, that's where you're starting? 
Well, because I think that, uh, you know, that pain works like a smelling salt. It, 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 you know, just another way of saying, I guess, what Lewis said there is that, you know, God shouts to us there. That's where he gets yeah. our attention. I mean, how many, how many people, you know, have we met, uh, you know, when they, you know, maybe who came to faith later in life and you ask them to tell the story? I don't, I don't think I remember a single story that didn't involve suffering of some sort. Like I, like I was overwhelmed with guilt and regret. Like I blew up, you know, this relationship or that relationship, or I was just so hurting, you know, I'd been diagnosed with a, you know, a a terminal disease or, um, you know, I lost a loved one or, um, you know, I was living with anxiety all the time, you know, and this group of people just, you know, came through and told me about, god and 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 how he could meet me in that place like it's always for me the stories that i've always heard my own story for sure like i was an ecclesiastes kid like i grew up with everything and and just thought about ending it you know at at certain at certain points or 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 at least just giving up if 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 not ending it giving up um until you know somebody pointed me to the future hope you know that's that's been sealed by a a past resurrection that that is the first fruits of everything yet to come and that just changed changed everything but um but man it, it, you know the the pain points are the things that that make us want what god has to offer in in, in ways that what lewis calls our pleasures don't necessarily do because sometimes we want to look to those pleasures as replacements as a, as a counterfeit Jesus of sorts. Yeah. Um, you know, the Bible calls that idolatry, but, but you know, we, we can take any yeah. good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing, which then turns it into a sour thing. Say that last line again, we can turn any good thing into an ultimate thing. Uh, and, and that's what turns it into a sour thing. It, you know, it would be like it's, asking yeah. planet earth to, be, to replace the sun as the center of, of the orbit of our solar system and, and turn the sun into a planet. It would throw everything out of whack. It, it, you know, yeah. it, this the, is the, a, like a, Augustine's uh, disordered loves. Like that's sin right. is the that's disordered. Right. You, you yeah, man, Augustine, another Gosh, Calvinist know, before Calvin. I'm, Okay, well, let me give you one that you guys don't quote as much. Uh, Richard Rohr, who is not a Reformed person, talks right. about how transformation... Yeah. Uh, he, he talks about the way of transformation is either love or prayer or suffering, and mm-hmm. usually it is suffering. I, I think all of us understand yeah. that. Yeah. Because it, it, many of us with, with beauty, like we can just rush past it. You tell the story of when you were a kid and you go to the Grand Canyon and your your mm-hmm. nose is stuck in like a comic book or something like that, and your dad has this great line where he goes, his regret will be his punishment, or something along those lines. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically, fact, to, I yeah. was basically a punk. I was like, you know what? I'm missing my cartoons. You guys want to show me this big, you know, hole, uh, in hole the in earth ground. and whatever. And, and so I wouldn't look, I, I wouldn't just not get out of the car. <laughs> I, I refused to look, to look and, up. How old were yeah, you? I, I was, you know, probably like six or seven or something like okay. that. But he's, he's like, yeah. you know, I can't remember the exact line, but it was like, yeah, his, his refusal to, you know, to enter into this experience will be his own punishment. Yeah, yeah, but but that is symptomatic of like every one of us that we'll we'll put our nose into whatever is right in front of us. We'll take this thing, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. It's not, uh, you know, legal opium and 
you know, whiskey. It, it can be other things. It can That's be right. work. It can be the idolatry of family, That's whatever right. it is. And we can just get distracted in it. And yeah. so we become people who just nose down in this stuff. We miss what's around us. But suffering, like, it yells at us. You, you can't ignore suffering. Suffering doesn't let us say, no, nah, I'm just going to keep my nose in my, right. my cartoons. It doesn't let us do that. And so in some That's ways, right. like, it's, it's the great waking upper. There's a pressure. Yeah. I mean, you know, think about the, think about, like, what Paul says in Galatians 6. He says, if any of you is, spirit, is caught in transgression, those of you who are spiritual, should mm-hmm. restore that person gently. Watch, your, watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. But that, that word restore uh, is interesting. You know, a while back doing a study on that particular word restore in, in ancient Greek use, and the only other way use that they could find in, in the ancient literature was, was in medical journals, uh, where it talked about restoring a broken bone. Which, hmm. you know, if anybody's ever had a broken bone and it's been restored properly, i.e. snapped back into place, which itself is excruciatingly painful, um, you know, all the medical experts will tell you that bone is like twice as strong after the hmm. break and restoration than it ever was before. And, um, you know, so, so, you know, intervention, which is what Galatians 6 is is talking about it's talking about an intervention uh restore that person you know be proactive get in and 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 give them the pain of make them feel the pain of disrupted community uh, by Mm -hmm. virtue of the way that they are doing damage to themselves and the people are around them through the choices they're making and it's that redemptive pressure that comes from the community right and i would say that uh, and i think the scriptures attest to the fact that that pain points like regret, hurt, and fear are also ways in, in which the Holy Spirit applies, applies this redemptive pressure and makes us want to get out of it, right? We go to the doctor when we feel terrible. Not because we like going to the doctor. Nobody likes going to the doctor. Like, I have plans, you know? I, I want to do something else, but because so I'm in such a, a crap hole right now, yeah. I'm going to go get this fixed. And, and I, think, I think these pain points are, are things that apply if we submit to them a redemptive pressure to run to the cure um and and so here oh, here ends the metaphor <laughs> yeah no that's spot on like as you said that like i touched my collarbone i have a friend said dude you need to get an x-ray for that i'm like no nah, it'll be fine it'll be fine because mm. i don't want to interrupt my day because oh all of a sudden that means yeah. you know two hours of my day are gone i got stuff i got to do yeah until it gets really really bad i'm not going to go check it out i'm not going to yeah. look at it but but when pain stops you, like you have to do something about yeah. it and like regret, hurt, fear, like yeah. those things tend to like, yeah. push us to action. But I, I love your argument that, or the way that you've taken that quote to say like beautiful people don't just happen. It, it takes work. And, and by that work, it's like being available for God to work in your life. Yeah. And it's not, Hey, I'm That's just right. going to white knuckle this, but it's being That's right. um, like receptive to the way the Holy spirit is conforming you to the image of Christ. Yeah. You're welcome into the family of God by grace through faith requires nothing of you. No mm-hmm. work. Christ has exerted all the effort to, to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to grow into the person that he has made you to be, to flourish, to find true happiness um, you know, requires living into um, his vision of what a flourishing human life is. You know, if th- those who love me obey my commands, and my commands 
get to a point where they're not burdensome to you anymore. You don't see them as burdensome, right? Um, It's amazing that the guy who gave the Sermon on the Mount, who said, don't worry, forgive your enemies, don't store up treasures, is the one who also said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy, right? Yeah. Like, it seems like very contradictory, but what you're saying is, there, there is a lightness that comes to it once you experience yeah. what the kingdom of God has to offer for you. That's right. It's that, it's that famous lyric from U2 and Bono, you know, some things have to be uh, seen before they can be believed. Um, and mm. and yeah, that's good. You, know, you, have to, you have to step into it, um, you know, kind of like, you know, walking with a blindfold on, just trusting the voice in front of you of just saying, look, you're, you're stepping right into an oasis, I promise you, but you've got to take the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's Jesus' daily invitation to his people is, you know, I'm, I'm only giving you enough light to take the next step. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's, it's not a lamp unto the horizon. It's a lamp unto yeah. my feet to take the next yeah step and and with each each incremental step uh you're getting close to glory and along the way he'll he'll drop crumbs on on the ground that you can pick up and savor to remind you of that uh, that's good that's good like, like jesus says pray for your daily bread it's not your year's bread it's not a decade mm. it's just just one day one day okay uh, i've got one random question not connected to the book yeah. at all but yeah. it's the final one we're going to get you out on i have a coworker who incessantly quotes you're Tim Keller. And what can I do to just get him to do one NT Wright reference? What do you, is there any coaching you'd give me? Is there a way I could just replace one Keller book with an NT Wright book that you think would help me get him to stop quoting Tim Keller literally every five minutes? <laughs> Surprised by hope. I mean, start there. Okay. And if, if, if it's too thick, too many pages, too many words, it is a lengthy book, but it's it's, it's, yeah, it's a masterpiece. Somewhere up there, yeah. Yeah, I do Kindle because I, I I don't like <laughs> carrying heavy books around. But but uh, surprised by hope's a masterpiece. But but here's here's a here's a a, a, a relatively unknown thing about N.T. Wright's writing catalog: the For Everyone New Testament series that he's done, which are, which are kind of lighthearted. Devotional commentaries, yeah, I see yeah. you've got them right I, over my I, shoulder. Yeah, I yeah. use them every time I preach the New Testament. They're so great. they're so accessible, and and uh, you know maybe start there. But every entry is it's got something in there that that's quotable. So it, um, you can't go wrong with with most Tim Keller quotes, but it is good to have a little variety in there. Thank you. I'm mm-hmm. going to give him. I'm going to make him listen to that segment right tell, there. Tell him also that Tim Keller has often quoted N.T. Wright. <laughs> All right, deal. All mm-hmm. right, that's the final. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's the nail in the coffin. He's okay. definitely going to have to do that now. Uh, Scott, congratulations on the book. Uh, the title again: Beautiful people don't just happen. And uh, yeah, this is wonderful, Scott. Congratulations, man. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.